1.3, 1.4 million dollars in the red. When it came time to pay and I didn't have the money, I was just telling a lot of lies. And that's when the threats start coming in. All right, here we are for the night podcast. We're here with Ian Bick, straight out of prison. <laughs> Would you like to introduce yourself? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. Uh, great being here. Awesome spot you guys got. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. So, do you want to start like telling your story of like how you ended up here? And actually, how long have you been out yeah, of prison? That's, that is such an open-ended question. I know. I'm there. sorry. I, I, I fumbled <laughs> um, my words here. I mean, like the the shortened version of it is that um, I started like throwing these house parties in high school. I realized that. Well, two things happen. One, I realized you can make some money off of it if you charged like a certain dollar amount to get kids to come to these parties. And two, my parents didn't want 300 kids showing up at the house anymore. So I rented out like a theater in Danbury, turned it into a nightclub for the night. We got like 500 people, five, 600 people, made like $1,500 in profit. That escalated into me renting out a local nightclub called Tuxedo Junction. And then from there, it was just like a domino effect. I started throwing concerts at different colleges in like Rhode Island in Connecticut. I had a couple other business ventures like taking in like investment money and we had like a wholesale business. I owned a nightclub like I opened a nightclub with some of that money. And you were uh, working with big artists too like yeah um, I actually followed you from your Chief Keep video. Yeah. I was like oh Toad's Place like yeah, he's Ch- right up the street. And- <laughs> yeah Chief Keep was not pleasant to work with but yeah really big artists like Tyga, Big Sean, Adventure Club, Steve Aoki, The Chainsmokers, Yellow Claw like really top-notch acts like in EDM and hip-hop. Yeah we saw Steve Aoki on your page and we were like what the fuck and then like (laughs) I realized that he hasn't been big for that long right like when you were working with him he probably wasn't like actually he was big he was like one of the biggest artists we booked like he was on the top of the magazines he was like considered a top tier artist for that like he never should have played at at our club we were a thousand capacity club yeah and EDM kind of music yeah this guy's massive and uh we only got him because he was playing at shrine that night and they oh, dub- so we double oh, booked him. Yep. Yeah. So he got like oh, 50 shit. grand or whatever to play at us like earlier in the evening. Was it and like then- a Shrine Tuesday? Yeah, um, no, it was it was a it was a weekend night. They okay. booked him on like a Friday. It was like a Friday night, I think. And it, that show wasn't actually supposed to be at my club. It was supposed to be at the college. But the college um, banned the show from happening because it was with Hyperglow and they were getting like a bad rep but like yeah. with Life and Color and stuff, too. So um, the promoter called me because we had a relationship was like, Ian, uh, two things. One, we're not giving you a rental fee, but you're getting Steve Aoki at your uh, venue, which was like awesome. That was like a game changer yeah, for dope. us. Is that your favorite yeah. artist that you, you got? Or? Uh, no, favorite artist was Blau. What's up, Dan Barry? It's Blau. I cannot wait for a show at Tuxedo Junction this weekend. It's going to be absolutely crazy. Um, I actually don't even know who that is. Yeah, so yeah, me either. Really nice guy. Um, he... Um, What's that movie with the two cops like that go undercover or whatever with Jonah Hill or whatever? Oh, 21, 21 Jump, Street. Jump Street. Yeah, so yeah. he did like some of the music in, in oh, 21 shit. Jump oh, Street. Nice. He, we did a show with him on a Wednesday night and sold the place out, 1,500 people. Wow. Um, that was when I owned the second club, Tuxedo Junction. Yeah, so anyways, basically all this stuff happens and I lose all this money on these concerts and... The FBI starts investigating and like I'm 18, 19 years old being investigated by the FBI. Um, And the whole thing got like really blown out of proportion for what it was because the whole thing was like it was an accident. So, yes, it was, I guess you could say a Ponzi scheme, but it was like an accidental Ponzi scheme because we had no idea that that wasn't the intention. Yeah, that wasn't the intention. Like if you loan me money, I'm thinking, okay, you're Chase Bank loaning another bank money and I'm paying off another loan. So yeah. when I did that with investors, I figured, you know, why not? And uh, we were kids that had no credit. 
whole thing backfired. I end up going to trial, losing like half the charges. Um, and then I do, I get sentenced to three years federal prison. Three years? I didn't three know it was years. that long. Yeah, it was three oh, years. Shit, and yeah. I did 26 months of that. Got out in 2019 in January. Good behavior? Uh, yeah, you got like a few months off. It's not as good as the state. Yeah. But I got a few months off um, for like good time credits. Can't say good and behavior. Stuff. I can't make up sound soft. Like he fucked people <laughs> up. So. No, I mean, how long was the trial? Uh, the trial was a month long. It was it was a really long trial. Um, it would have been longer, but we were pressed right up against Thanksgiving. So the jury started like sending notes um, like during deliberation saying, well, what happens if we can't reach a verdict? Will it go past Thanksgiving? And we kind of felt like it was like a rushed verdict at that point because one day they were like, we can't reach a verdict. And the next day when they found out that they couldn't, they didn't want to stay past Thanksgiving, come up with like a verdict that didn't really make sense. Like some was not guilty, some was a mistrial, and then some was guilty. And one of the key elements of wire fraud is you have to have criminal intent. So how do I have criminal intent on some of the right. charges and not the others? Yeah, it makes Were sense. Were you facing yeah. more time than three years? No. So um, the news like always reported I was facing like 120 years and that's never the case. What? Like, yeah. So because yeah. they added each charge carries like a 20 year term and the money laundering is 10 years and the lying is five years. They just wanted some news. They just Yeah. So yeah. they added that all up and they said it was 125 years. But with my guidelines, because of my age and criminal history, I was facing seven to eight years. Um, the government wanted like six to seven. The judge met them in the middle and gave me 36 months and then a year house arrest. And you got to be terrified at this point. You got to be like. I mean, you seem pretty confident in, your, did, in yeah, your video. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it seemed, didn't yeah. hit me until I think after I went to prison. Like so you're I, in there and like yeah. So like I always thought like I was like untouchable. Everything like I live by the model like you got to just keep doing and like trial and error and right. um, whatever's happens is gonna happen. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And it was like I had this bond hearing because I was going out of state to the casino to gamble because I wasn't 21 yet, so I couldn't go to Mohegan Sun. Yeah. And I was winning crazy money on Baccarat. That was paying the bills. Like I would literally go to the casino. Artist agents, like the biggest agencies in the world, would be calling me saying, Ian, your fucking check bounce. Like get oh, this money shit. in the account or you're blacklisted. And I'm running to Yonkers Raceway, winning the money, running across the street to Bank of Holy America shit. to deposit into their money. I saw one of your videos recently where you pulled up with 20K in a shoebox to one of your investors that you yeah. had to pay back. <laughs> and you won it all at the casino that day. Yeah, I it, lost it and then won it back. Yeah. yeah. I went in, wow. with, went in there with like 2,500 and got it up to the 20 I needed. Stayed a little more because you can never quit when you're ahead. Like you just keep going. And uh, lost it back down to 500, and then I ended up turning it into the 30. Um, so I got to keep a little bit of money after. This shit sounds like anxiety every day. I it feel was like very high stress. Yeah. I feel oh, like I he just woke up and like watched The Wolf of Wall Street. And <laughs> I'm not fucking leaving. <laughs> the show goes on. Yeah. You, How just, old are you know? I'm 27 now. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. He was just ready to take take that's, on the I world. Mean, that's a humbling experience too, because then. You must have been, you has, there's a certain arrogance or cockiness that comes with that because getting it so young at that age, like, say like 17, 18, having to go to jail and having to face that, that's, that, I, I was fuck you up. That, cockiest like, motherfucker yeah. ever. Yeah, I was a piece of shit. I was, <laughs> yeah. I was overweight. I saw, I saw him especially buying yeah. speedboats, buying uh, uh, jet, uh, jet skis. skis. Yep. And your friends were talking mad shit about you. They're like, dude, you used to be so yeah. nice. Now he's a dick. Yeah, like at first, like, I don't know. I like, I definitely chased popularity. I was obsessed with popularity in high school. And I think it's because I wasn't really that popular in middle school. And um, I actually started out doing like theater in high school. I did the theater, the plays and the musicals. And um, I did the cast party one year and I was we set up like a big circus tent in the yard we got like porta potties a dance floor a DJ and it was a whole big thing and that formed a relationship with the upperclassmen 
So once I started getting their attention, like it's like a drug, you get hooked. Like people are addicted to drugs and alcohol. I was addicted to popularity and people talking about me. Like I was obsessed with that. And that's kind of like what drove me and chased me like every house party. It wasn't for me. It was for to get them to like me more. And I just like the ego is going through the roof, like having everyone like we were a big high school. So we were 3000 kids and my class alone was like eight, nine hundred. So to command, like having that many people talk about you, like that was a good feeling for me, like someone that was like insecure in his body. Um, like wasn't really the most attractive. Like I was like this little nerdy kid. I wore a, a suit and tie to school with a briefcase. Like, and now you got chicks throwing the, it at you. Just, yeah. I mean, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't confident though. So right. I never really acted on it. Like I always, right. I always had like a girlfriend kind of, but, and there was like hookups here and there, but it wasn't what it could have been. Like I always yeah. reflect, I'd say like, and I don't live life by regrets, but my only regret, like with owning a club, like I wish I owned the club now. Like that would be so much oh, fun, yeah. like being like a, a lot better looking than I was before. <laughs> I, I look at old photos. Yeah. I'm like, how the fuck did I get girls? <laughs> like these girls just do crazy shit. Like to, to, I to saw the, the, the before and, and after uh, pictures of you going to jail. Like, yeah. Were you just working out in jail, eating food, so doing pushups and stuff? When I first got to jail, um, I was eating like shit. Like I was buying all the candy off the commissary. Yeah. Um, my bunk mates were making like rice and beans every night. And these are like, the, the, it's a sodium is like 1500 grams. <laughs> yeah. And there's like 1,300 calories in this one pack of beans and like the the beef logs you get from commissary. Yeah, but it's these guys are creative. You see the guy the guy on TikTok that he makes the prison meals. I've seen a lot yeah, of shit on TikTok. Yeah. That's good. Um, so I was eating like shit. It wasn't until I got to the shoe because I was in solitary for six months. The shoe solitary, whatever you want to call it, and that's when I lost all the weight. And you're just you're in your cell. You're doing push-ups. You're doing sit-ups. Why do you go there? Um, so a couple, a, fight? a couple things happened. No, no fight. Um, so at Fort Dix at the low security prison, you could get a cell phone, uh, illegally. It costs like 1500 bucks. Few of the guys in our room had cell phones. And one day, one of them filmed me and another uh, of the cellmates wrestling, like just for fun, Fucking but we were wrestling. A couple weeks later, the room gets raided. They find the cell phones and they unhack it because they send it to the FBI and they could get the phone. Oh, they could post decrypted. it online? Uh, they do post online, but you're an idiot when you post it online. Like I see all these TikTok. If you ever Prison look TikTok? at TikTok, yeah, yep. that's their last post. Like they they have a post and it <laughs> says like yeah, they have it posted for like two oh, years. They're in solitary you never really after that. See anything yeah. like consistent? Oh shit. Um. So anyways, they get into the phone. They see like I'm getting like beat up in the in the thing, but it wasn't legit. But anyways, they launched an investigation. They brought everyone into the cells, a 12 man room, into the shoe. Sat there for three months. Then they said, okay, investigation's closed. We're going to ship you to the Danbury prison, which was good for me because that was my hometown. I get to the Danbury prison. I'm on the yard for 24 hours. And this is after I traveled from Fort Dix to Philly because the hurricane was going on in Puerto Rico. So that their transit buses were all down there helping out. So I got stuck in Philly for another six weeks in the shoe there. Finally make it to Danbury. I'm on the yard 24 hours, enjoying freedom. And I get a uh, call to the lieutenant's office. And I get in there and they place me up against the wall and they handcuffed me. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on? They're like, we got to bring you the shoe. So I, I, a couple weeks later, after sitting in the shoe, I find out why a guard reported that I had a connection to him. I used to date his cousin. So it was a conflict oh. of interest. So it, he could have like, I could have used our relationship to an advantage, blackmail, anything like that. Get stuff in. Yeah. Yep. So then I was in the shoe another three months in Danbury. 
Um, and then I finally got shipped off to, because I pissed them off so bad. I was calling like, the, my dad was calling the state senators. Uh, we got a lawyer involved. We were sending letters because it was ridiculous. So I was sitting there for three months. Yeah, it's bullshit. Yeah. And, you did um, have visitors during that time or no? When you're in the shoe, you got to visit once a week for an hour. Uh, and you're in like an orange jumpsuit because you got to sit separately from everyone. It's it, it's kind of more of a pain in the ass to get the visit than anything. But it's good because you get the um, the snacks out of the vending machine. That was like the only yeah. plus you got like that burger and like the plastic wrapping or whatever that you could microwave. Wow. Um, so then I get shipped to Wisconsin. That's where they send me out of all the camps they could have sent me to. They send me to Wisconsin. That was like my punishment um, for pissing them off so bad. So hindsight, That's are bullshit. you happy that you ended up in the shoe? Like looking at the way your body changed? Yeah, it definitely worked out. I don't know if I think that gave me the motivation because there is nothing better like that is so therapeutic to like sit alone your thoughts like i got to reflect on everything and i think that's where i got like a different mentality because i reflected on like every conversation i had with everyone i i I, um reflected on relationships i reflected on like what my plan is um i reflect on where i went wrong what i could do better um and i was reading like you read a book a day if you're sitting in a cell for 24 hours you're going through a, a whole book a day so i read like the harry potter series um, I read like a lot of James Patterson and then like a lot of like self-help, like psychological books too. And Rest in peace, what, Hagrid. <laughs> what, what are, <laughs> so what is it that you, when you got out, what was your focus when you got out? What do you, what, I mean, you couldn't jump right back into doing the club. So what was it, what was your next move? So when I got out, I was so gun ho about, um, making a comeback and getting into the club business. Oh, but you did want to jump back into I d- it? I, yeah. So the, the, itch. The, okay. the News Times posted an article saying Bick out of jail wants to get back in the club business, which really pissed off everyone because uh, they thought like, I still owe me money. Had exactly. Yeah. Um, so I was like looking at new locations and meanwhile, I have no money. Like I have nothing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking at locations and I'm like, I'm never going to go work for anyone. I'm like, I'm going to get this club going and I'm going to prove everyone wrong and, and it's going to come full circle. And I'm going to write a book and I'm going to get like a movie deal because I read all the Wolf of Wall Street books in prison and I kind of understood his writing. And um, I started writing like a book based on his writing technique. And I realized like, OK, my story has a lot of potential. I'm going to sell it. And boom, everything's going to be great. Well, a couple months into it, I realized that's not how the world works and it's not just going to happen. Yeah. So I drove my focus into making like working on myself. So I started working at Whole Foods. Um, which is where I worked for like a month before I went to prison. And um, I got a job there as a cook and I worked at a pizzeria making pizzas and um, doing deliveries. And I did some DoorDash on the side and uh, I rebuilt my credit, got my own place, got uh, my car, uh, uh, my own car, my own name. Really started from the ground. And when all those pieces came together, that's when I got the email from HBO or the slide into my DM saying, hey, we want to do this documentary about you. So it's kind of like it makes you think like of just about like the universe and things happening for a reason, like even in relationships and stuff like timing is everything like that's what they always talk about. And like, I think that taught me a lot, too. Like it's it really is all about time timing. Like I look at my life now when something doesn't happen, whether, you know, it's a business thing or a relationship or anything. I got to realize like everything in my life has set up like exactly the way it's supposed to work out. And if this isn't working out the way it I want it to right now, there's got to be something else in the works. So I just pursued that and everything kind of fell into place. I mean, COVID hit, so that like annihilated my club right, plans yeah. anyways. Oh, I know. Um, like I couldn't imagine if I, I did a club, it would have been shut down in a year anyways for COVID. 
So now it seems like you're trying to do social media is like your main goal or is running a club still your main goal? So I was so focused on Whole Foods, like growing up, uh, like growing up in the company, I worked my way up from, you know, making $15 an hour to making $32 an hour. And then like with overtime, you make over a hundred a year. Oh, wow. um, and I wanted to raise up to like a store team leader, which would, and then like go higher. Yeah. And regional. Um, and I did all that and it was That's great. Big. I think people don't know that they're you paying that much. Up there? They, they don't know that they're paying. That is a great company. It's owned by Amazon. Um, oh, wow. I posted a video one time. People are hating on it. I'm like, little do they know. Like I just show them the pay stub. Um, but I was doing really good. I was killing it for the company. And then it was like this summer, I realized this past summer, I, I was like sitting there one day and I'm like, do I really want to keep busting my ass for a company that could, you know, replace me or like, is this my long-term plan? Like, do I want to work retail? And at the end of the day, like ultimately I decided to quit for a couple factors. Um, one, I'm never going to pay off my past debt by working at Whole Foods. Like what's the most I can end up making at Whole Foods? Like 150, 200 a year, whatever. You got to get a mortgage out on that. Yeah. <laughs> you pay those debts off. Yeah. I mean, it, it's uh, restitution. Um, so it's a court ordered. It was like 500,000. Then there's a couple extra hundred thousand on the streets that that's owed. Um, you can like, if I got like a big deal, I can negotiate that down. Um, like say if Netflix paid me like 300,000, I can go to the court and say, Hey, let's negotiate in one lump sum payment. Oh, nice. Now, were you nervous walking around Danbury? Like you still, you're still in Danbury. Were you nervous people looking for you needing their money back? Not really. Were you in a... In yeah. a jam with that, you were like, somebody's going to fuck me up if I don't give them their money? I think time heals everything. You got to look at it now. Like, this is 10 is, years ago. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Like, no one's... Uh, it wasn't... Uh, uh, like, it was more, like, collective money from a lot of people. Okay. Rather than, like, a few people that gave, like, their life savings. Like, no one lost their life savings um, because of it. One of the investors uh, had passed away. He had put up the bulk of the money because he had won a lawsuit, and he was my age. Um, but... And then, like, even, like, the shady figures, like, the drug dealers, stuff like that that I talk about on my TikTok, I think they really respected that, like, I didn't throw any of them under the bus. Uh, um, I okay. didn't rat out anyone. Like, I didn't bring anyone down with me, like, with the feds or anything like that. Um, and they kind of, like, understand business and the concept. Like, everything's a risk, um, too. Yeah, it's all a risk. Yeah. And you were taking in money. So it's not like you weren't making money at these events. It just, you ended up in a hole. Tuxedos was super profitable. And that's what I started after the investigation. Like so many people get it wrong. They're like, and the news times always, they, they were writing like, oh, the fraud had to do with the club. No, like the fraud was way before, like with the concerts and, and lying to investors that they lost money when it, when it didn't make money and this and that. Um, but tuxedos was super profitable. It's just, I had so much bad debt going into it. So you, was it one bad show yeah. that fucked up everything? Like, so basically the biggest thing was it was like one lie that caused like this whole domino effect. That, I had taken in the money from investors and I invested it into these guys in Rhode Island that owned an entertainment company. And they're telling me the show's doing great. Um, we're going to make a lot of money. Um, looking really good on ticket sales. And so I bring the investors, which are all my friends. We were high school kids and we rent a limo. We get some hotels, go to URI and we're seniors in high school at a college campus throwing the show That's sick, and yeah. it, the place looked packed, but it's at an arena. And what I didn't realize at the time, uh, which is a lot like what social media is now is looks are deceiving. Like the people posting the fancy shit, they might not have, have that. Um, so it was the same thing with this room. Like the room looked packed, but it really wasn't packed. Wasn't and producing. so we took a wash on it, but I was in the position where it's like, okay, I'm this kid that loves popularity. 
you know, didn't want to lose any friendships. And, you know, I, I lied to cover it up and said, yeah, we still made ego. money. Yeah. And the ego lied to cover it up that we still made money. And I also didn't want to be known as a guy that they thought it made money. And maybe they think I'm screwing them by telling them it lost money and I'm just trying to cover it up. So it was yeah. like a, it was a you tough situation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm 17 years old at the time. Um, and I just chose that route. And once you tell that one lie, there's no coming back from that. Unless you got a big win. You need one big win. And that's and what that's I what kept chasing, hoping right? for. Yeah. Yep. I was always like chasing the lose. big win. I mean, like even now, like I'm still chasing the big win because I'm looking, I'm, I'm setting myself up to, to sell the rights to the story. Like that's the big win. Get back to even. So I feel like, yeah, you're but the risk reward there is you're just risking effort and time it. rather, yeah, rather than risking other people's investments. Exactly. Now I know I don't want anything to do with anyone's investments. Like some people hit me up to do shows and I'm kind of thinking like lately, maybe getting back into something. Um, only cause now I have like the social media following and the market in Danbury is very dead. Like there's opportunity, which is why it worked before. Did you start that recently? you like your socials and saw your TikTok and your, I had the Instagram and I had the Facebook like a base. Um, but it's really growing now. Like my TikTok grew to 27,000, just like two months. Oh, nice. What, so, what, what caught me was the chief Keith at Chief's Place story, which yeah. I don't even know, you know if you, if you want to repeat that story, but that was a wild story. If you want to bring that up. Uh, basically, you know, we booked Chief Keef at, um, at Toad's Place in New Haven. And this was like one of our better selling shows for like that whole fall. And at that time, this was 2013, he was in high demand, like all of his songs were hits. Um, there wasn't any bad press about him, like missing shows and stuff. So tickets were like 25, 30 bucks a ticket. We sell like a thousand or so tickets. Um, and then like with advertisers and everything like that, we were going to gross like 50 K. Uh, an hour before the doors are opening, I'm heading to New Haven from Danbury and I get a call from my co-promoter on the show and he's like, Ian, don't flip out. But Chief Keefe's manager just called me and said they can't find him, but not to worry. He's going to he missed the first flight. He'll be on the second flight and um, he's just going to perform later. Meanwhile, at Toad's place, while this is all going on, there's a line down the street. They're starting oh, to riot a little bit because it, the doors are opening late. We had to spend like all this extra money for police because Chief Keefe had a bad rep for like yeah. just the shootings and stuff yeah. like that. The, the gang stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that did really well in like the market in New Haven. So I was like, okay, I still went, I drove down there. I get there, still line out the door. The club didn't want to open up the doors and get all those people in and have like a, a mob scene a until they knew if he was definitely coming. Eventually management calls at, this is at nine o'clock. Doors were supposed to open at eight. People are standing outside for two hours and they say that he, he's not coming. They can't find him at all. Next morning, he sends out a tweet saying, sorry, Connecticut wasn't the promoter's fault. Catch you next time. Guy went fucking ghost like what? for the whole night. Yeah, nothing. That's bullshit. And you had a, all those tickets. What happens? They get the we money We had to back? refund everything, but I had paid him a $15,000 down payment. So he was 25 grand That you didn't the night. see back? Never got it back. Holy shit. Um, tried to sue him. But um, it was already costing me, like I was already over five grand into the lawsuit and he's just like hidden by LLCs and, and we did the deal with his management company. So like with EDM, you always go through the agents, but with rap, it's a little bit different because uh, it's harder to, unless you're like Live Nation or like you're on the top of it, you, you could deal with the agents, but we were just dealing with the, um, the, the managers. And managers are allowed to like book a few separate shows a year to make extra Even money. The manager of the artist. Yeah. So which is sometimes one of their boys or something like exactly. that. Exactly. So. And they're just pocketing that cash anyways to get them to come. Like when we did 21 Savage in Danbury, uh, that was just a management deal. 
And these guys get crazy money. This is why I hate booking rap because they get like 21 Savage got 25 grand for the night. The guy performed like six songs. We got a whole pack. And place. this is 21 Savage waiting. at what point? Uh, 2021. 21. Oh, so you got him. Okay. So oh, wait, not 2021, 2016. Oh, when shit, I was, so he yeah. was still coming up. They had a clip yeah. of him talking about it in the HBO special, right? Yep. Yeah, I'm going to play that. I will be at Tuxedo Junction. Y'all come out and fuck with the gang. 21. He did a video for it. He was like, come to Danbury. And then he cost me more money because his posse with rap stars, they always bring a posse. Right. Tried to break into the Outback Steakhouse at the <laughs> hotel they were staying at. I don't blame him. Yeah, <laughs> and I was banned from, that was the last hotel I got banned from. So I got banned from like all these hotels in Danbury from them from artists in general because they uh, always bring posses and we would throw crazy after parties because I didn't I was living uh, at my parents house so yeah, I didn't have yeah. a place to throw an after you're like, party you're like yo chief keep coming to my so you had to be after a while trying to stay away from the rap shows you were just trying to do the EDM shows I realized Did you find them more professional yeah I mean I realized rap wasn't where the money was at it was very very high risk for low reward and the market was changing like rap everyone was doing rap so I did something different no one was doing EDM shows in Connecticut except for like Shrine which was 21 plus and Toad's Place didn't know how to do a proper EDM show because it was a crap venue. They didn't yeah. do production. Yeah. I invested so much into production. Like it was an empty warehouse and every show was a different setup. We were the first club to do like the big LED screens, like the video walls. It's in, an experience. In, it's more of an experience. Exactly. It was a I New remember York going City and it was nightclub. like, it actually cost a good amount for like the ticket. I think it was probably like 60, Oh, you 80. went to tuxedos? I think I've been there once. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And I was like, it was like 60, 80 bucks or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So you make more than just it a $30 ticket. It was literally ticket. like a shitty nightclub before. And we bring that's in these I big acts. Yeah. We bring in these huge acts. Like no one saw coming. We booked the chain smokers. We're charging $40, $50 a ticket, no alcohol. And people are coming. That's it. And you would be surprised. We were actually making more money in a night on soda, water, chips, candy than, than, the tickets? than nightclubs were making with liquor. Uh, in Danbury, obviously you can't compare it to New York City or Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. But Steve Aoki, our bar, did $12,000. And that's just off wa water. I was charging $5, Gatorade $5, Red Bull $7. Uh, I would go to the dollar store next door and get like a box of candy and sell that for five when it was costing me one. And the kids would buy it. And the thing with the, you, you bring in like the younger crowd, like the 18 to 21 crowd and the older people are coming too. And you get a lot of like the, the older Spanish men downtown Danbury that want to come because they see where the party's at. Yeah. Um, and it was just a snowball effect. And then we could upcharge on walk-ups too. We would always oversell the building. Um, I'd never close the doors. But like since you were getting so much heat on you, then you probably had to get like probably the fire marshal people were fucking with you, right? Like the yeah. My favorite cops. story is the Steve Aoki show. We have Steve Aoki come, and the fire marshal at that point was like severely on our ass, like always coming every night to every show. This time he comes when doors were supposed to open at seven, uh, with a clicker, like one of those baseball clickers to see how oh, many. Oh, he had it for coming. you. He hated yeah. you. <laughs> Lucky for me, I opened doors an hour earlier, so I already got 500 people in the door. He shows up, and he says, Ian, how many people are inside? I said, we got about 20 in there. Meanwhile, there's over 500. <laughs> um, there's about 20. We're just opening doors now. He was so concerned with catching me and clicking every person that he didn't do an initial walkthrough. So he didn't uh... go in the club. He sat outside, so he clicks one at a time coming in. And our legal capacity was like 600. When you could really fit like 2,000 people in there, they yeah. were screwing me so bad. Um, so while he's clicking out front, I get some lookouts on the roof because we could go on the roof of the club. We're all hooked up with walkie-talkies, and we sneak another 1,500 people through the back door while he lets just the 500 in through the front. At the end of the night, like everything's smooth, no issues. He does a walkthrough in the club. 
there's over there's like 2500 people in oh, this club shit. and he looks at it he's like you look like you're about 100 over but everything's good good job tonight wow. meanwhile oh, all these shit. people because the club like it was it, l-shaped so you couldn't really get an accurate view yeah and like half the club could be empty in the back but everyone's in the front and we had a big patio we had the deck you really couldn't tell. It was impossible to tell. You've done a lot of podcasts, and you say that people always ask you the same questions. Mm-hmm. Is there something that hasn't been asked to you that you think, like, this is something I should I should talk about, like, a part of my story that no one has mentioned? I mean, I just feel like a lot of people don't get into, like, the emotional, like, intellectual stuff about it. Um, I think so many people are fascinated by, like, you got, like, the the the, cl- the flashy stuff like the artists the like celebrity. The, yeah the celebrity like okay you owned a club at 18 the, the drug dealers like all that kind of stuff um i was on the mind pump podcast and they got into the intellectual stuff like what's the root causes why did that happen um and you kind of look at like you know fate plays an aspect into it and you look at like each like you really don't know what's going to happen off of your one decision like that one decision has such a big impact on like the rest of your life, like things can change. And I think a lot of people like take that for granted. And I know in like my life, my story is about like unguided ambition. Like I had all the ambition in the world, but it wasn't guided. It wasn't directed. I didn't have someone like to put me there. And also at the same time, maybe even if I did have that person, I was very stubborn, stuck in my ways. I wanted to be like that next Mark Zuckerberg. Like I wanted to be big and um, I was very gun ho about it myself. So that would have also derailed me too. But to answer your question, I just feel like a lot of people don't ask like the mental stuff. Like they're not talking about like the mental aspect. Like what was it like going to prison, like losing friends, um, dealing with that. And even now, like how does someone like deal with that mentally um, coming out of that and, and getting through that too? Did you have a lot of your friends visiting you at prison? Because like I could imagine that you you would expect to see people there and then they just don't show up. I um like when this all started, like I had some really good friends in high school and I ended up losing pretty much all my high school friends. Really? Um, we went through stages where, you know, there was talks about like people losing money, but then I started doing the club and booking these big names. So everyone was loving me again. And, and they were coming and they were asking me for free, free tickets. But as soon as the day I got indicted um, and it was blown out, like FBI arrest Danbury teen nightclub yeah. owner, everyone cut me off. Like every friend I had in Danbury, except for a couple. And like I had two friends and those were the guys that visited me in prison that uh, Steven, who was in the documentary and he was on vice yeah. too. And my friend Robbie, um, they came to visit me. And so I was at like, at that point I'm 19. I had no friends and I had to make all new friends. And I did that through the club. Um, I got a new girlfriend and I got, um, some like really good friends through the club. And those people end up screwing me later on. Cause they wanted to take the club from me. I was so, gonna say the club's uh, probably not the best place to make friends. Yeah. They were in it. Well, that, I, that industry is just a real fucked up industry. You, the people that you think are your through. friend are not your friend. Or it's yeah. just very much, what can you do for me? Exactly. And I think, like, if I didn't have the club, those people wouldn't have been there. Um, they Obviously, I was attached to them because they were standing up for me. Like, they were, you know, all the hate that was coming in. Um, like, it was very divided because you have all these people that the club's being exposed to um, like coming to the show. So they're not paying attention to like the crime stuff that's going on, like the investigation. And then you have all the people from Danbury that know about it and are bad mouthing it. And I have like this new group of friends that's like defending me. Um, but 
looking back on it, they were only defending me because they had something to gain because they wanted to be a part of the club. They're not yeah. going to cancel me when I own like this massive club and right. they're working at it meeting the artists. They're going to ride with me um, until the day that that's taken away from you can me. You no and longer what, do for them Exactly. Anymore. And when that day came, up. they were gone. And so I found myself rebuilding again after prison. But I really understand now like you don't need to have like all the friends like you're lucky that what's that quote you're you're lucky if you have like a, a few good friends so i have like a handful of really good friends and yeah, the, that's all you the, need a small yeah. solid circle do we, you have the, we talk about it all the time yeah. i'll go right ahead no no, no go ahead i was gonna say do you have the same friends from the hbo special like those same main ones that were in that video or do i no longer really so steven's one of my best friends um i have a couple really good friends that weren't uh, interviewed in it josh um we haven't like talked in years he was like an investor um and then but yeah i mean i have my family and i have like a few really good friends and i made new friends through work uh but a lot of people are weird like when it comes to my situation like a lot of girls too like they they keep their distance but there's like that mystery about it too that i think like gets people in but they kind of don't know because like on paper, I'm not like the perfect person that you bring home to like your parents because yeah. like I have that rep, like I was indicted by the federal government, went to federal prison. But then there's also that mystery, like when they get to know me, like they realize my work ethic, they realize like I have so much like going for me, like going on. Like after the HBO thing, there was such like an influx of a lot of women from like all over the country and it like exposed like my mindset just to like know that like there's more out there than like than Danbury and Connecticut and yeah, like bro, one people yeah like and Danbury is very small town minded like last night I was at the club and um it was like a high school fucking reunion and like people I hadn't talked to in years they're like staring at me like hesitant to come up to me and then like when they got close to me and like I initiated contact and stuff and people are just like weird about certain things like they they have something on their mind but they won't say it yeah and you they look a celeb at you. out there now too now right? everybody i guess it. yeah like people say that like i don't really look at it like i'm just a normal person yeah um i know like this is just like a very tip of the iceberg of like what's going to be and i need to be like prepared for that because one day it's going to be on like a, a really big level because it does have like people laugh when i say it but it does have the wolf of wall street vibes like yeah. it's on that level of a story. Like it's completely different. Going back to that. Have you had an issue like that dating in the past? Like dating, like having someone that was interested and just had to like, couldn't do it because of your story or couldn't explain that to her parents or. I think, um, like I've been in like a couple long-term relationships and like my first, like really serious relationship that got lost. Like when her mom read her diary and, um, found out like I owned, Oh, drug dealers money. I was getting like my fingers <laughs> smashed. In her so diary, she wrote all that? She wrote all this, like wow. all the shit I was going oh, you got to. your fingers this smashed? Is, yeah, that's another story. But r like right before the investigation started. That's the story I'm interested in. So <laughs> she, um, the mom made her break up with me. Then I get a, another girlfriend that was the guard's cousin who um, like it was very serious. She was so supportive of me. And this is like my lowest point in my life. And like that girl like loved me. Like she was there for me. She was defending me Held against down, the haters. Yeah held it down. She was sleeping at my parents' house, this and that. And ultimately like I chose the club over her. Like that was my uh, dream. I gave that all up. I couldn't give her what she needed and she found someone else and she's with that guy like seven years later. And like, those are the decisions. Like I realized, like I gave up. Um, and then like after, like right before COVID hit, like I met a girl and we uh, dated for like the last couple of years. Um, we broke up like a few months ago um just like going in different like directions in life but she was like super supportive like i feel like once a person gets to know me they they understand 
Um, yeah. But the crowd's very divided. Like with the girls I meet, it's very divided. Like some will think it was intentional and some will think it wasn't intentional and it was an accident. I think a lot of it has to do with how they're raised too, like their mindset, if they're entrepreneurial or not. You're going to see that um, on social media. Like, yeah. In the comments. You'll, you'll, yeah. Like, the girls oh, will reach out anyway. Even if he has like a bad boy image, they're going to hit him up anyway. Yeah, the, I mean, oh, yeah. The chicks, girls chicks love Jeffrey Dahmer. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, so... Yeah. They, they follow it. Um, and even the ones that hate, like they got like a, like, I don't know when you see someone that's like in the gym working out, has something going on for them. There's like that mystery attraction, yeah. like part to it. And they're, whether they admit it or not, that's on them. But that like is a part to that whole thing. And I'll, I think it's like a lot of people in Connecticut, um, like Connecticut girls that personally know me might like stay away only because they know the situation, but there's like a whole world of people out there. Yeah. So I mean, Connecticut's big too. There's millions of it chicks is. that you never met. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, yeah. I think I'll definitely like pursue older, like hookups with younger are fine. Like obviously not like someone under 18, but right. like, yeah, like someone like a make couple that, of years. Let's make that clear. Yeah, let's make that clear. <laughs> that could be taken the no wrong way. Uh, but like someone that's a little younger, I don't know if I would like date, date them because just like the m mind and mentality yeah. isn't there. Like, especially like at the level I'm at and them understanding my situation. And I, get their perspective they're not gonna if you're like a 23 24 year old girl how do you bring someone like me home to the parents to explain like listen this guy yeah. went to jail this and that like that's yeah. hard whereas if you're with like a 30 or 31 or 32 year old who's on their own and doesn't have to go about that um but timing's everything we'll see what happens right now i'm just i'm working on me i'm playing the field yeah, just and keep so, making and money man yeah. so, so so right now present day you're working on well, obviously I see your own socials. Mm -hmm. Um, anything else that you're working on? Are you now currently working on getting back in the clubs or working on, uh, my friend, getting your feedback wet, wet in that? And, or? Yeah. My friend does like these promoting at this uh, place called Barbary's in Danbury. Um, so we're thinking about maybe booking like some acts. I'm starting to inquire, like to see if there's anyone small we can bring. Um, but honestly, my mind's not like super set on it. I'm looking at it at like long term. I build the social media. Now I get the deal whatever happens, then I can get into events. Cause at that point you have like this major platform. Yeah. I don't want to like go backwards, like timing. I've learned so much about patience, just like being in solitary relationships, everything like patience is everything. Like you can't rush it. Okay. I'm sorry. I got a question for you. Yeah. I'll say what's your, what's your favorite book? Favorite book. Um, I really like the Wolf of Wall Street books, okay, but okay. yeah, that's those, funny. Cause I mentioned that before you yeah. brought it up. I just knew like that's those the mentality books. that it takes. Like you have to have that and you have to believe in it when like no one else believes in it. Like people like I'll read some comments and like, they're like, ah, dude's telling the same story for like seven, eight years now. But look at, you know, like squid games, for example, that guy pursued that story for like 10 years, got told no all the time. Same thing yeah. with Harry Potter, JK yeah. Rowling, like all those people, like I've heard a bunch of no's, but I have somewhat of a track record. I have the HBO doc. I have Netflix, you know, I've been on podcasts and now I think it shows proof of concept to grow that fast on TikTok, like with that many views for a story, just a story. It's not like I'm doing something cool or dancing, like stuff that could go viral. This is just me talking about my life experience and people are resonating to that. And I think the interesting part is like the way I tell a story, it leaves people the option to decide whether to believe you or not. Exactly. And whether I did it intentionally or not, I thought that was great about the HBO documentary because it outlines a story, but it leaves the audience saying, 
like with the question, did he do it on purpose? Did he not? Yes, yeah, so and then they what go went wrong? Unanswered questions. Yeah. Then they go exactly. search you on Google and because, find you. Because even though your story's been around for a while, I just recently, like I said, I mm-hmm. just came across the Vice and I just came across your TikTok and so did Izzo. So mm-hmm. you, you're, as that goes on, you're going to have a whole new uh, group of people that are interested yeah, in the story get big. or, or want to know. Just keep posting. Yeah, yeah. I'm just and I think the posting. way you tell your story is really good too because like to me it sounds honest. I'm on team, like, team honesty. Um, <laughs> team honesty. But... You're always going to get people commenting like, oh, he did the same thing. Like even with my content, I get people saying, oh, he's doing the same thing. And mm-hmm. then I just try to remember like Kabi Lame, the dude that's just famous for going like this. And like mm-hmm. he literally does the same thing and he's the biggest creator on TikTok. Yeah. But that's I, what that's what works is the same thing. Same thing, but just and people like the first time it's going to work the second time. They say like I smirk or like laugh during I'm telling the story. And I'm like, this happened like 10 years ago. Like, do you want me to be like depressed and sad that yeah. like I'm telling a story about like me borrowing this or, or doing this, like did, it, it's just reflecting. Did you go through, I'm sure you did, but um, those states of depression, especially locked up, missing holidays, missing stuff, was that like fucking with you? I think that's what hurts the most. It's like that fear of missing out in prison, especially when I think if I didn't have access to like cell phones and stuff in prison, it would be different. But when you're somewhere that you can't get out of, like you're physically contained there and you're looking at people going to the clubs, having fun, you're seeing people's birthdays in your prime. Like, yeah, there, there like, was internet on the phone too. Yeah, there was everything. Oh, it was, you so you get gotta the see boost stories while you're locked up. Yeah, you get the Whoa, boost mobile. No. I was posting stories on like Snapchat and yeah. shit. Um, what uh, do you post on your stories locked up? What, what, what? Just like us playing like uh, spades or uh, <laughs> just, a lot of we would go like live sometimes. It, it would be fun cool. for yeah, the views cool. and yeah. girls love that shit. Yeah. Um, but that was the biggest thing. Like you're sitting there because, all right, so say like there's a crush you like or a hot girl and you know she's going to be at this club that night. Imagine not being able to go see her. That's yeah. that feeling like every time, every day you wake up. Like, and e- even if you start talking to someone, it's not like you can just go and see that Let's person. Let's go get some drinks or something. Yeah. yeah, like my there would be guys there that are like on Tinder, like in the prison. They're on Tinder. They're on the phone all night because they use that as their hustle to get money on their books. So they, they'll set like blocks of time to talk to these girls all night. There's women that are oh. sending money to them. Yeah. Oh, they're making a fortune. It's normally like these bigger women um, that are like <laughs> getting crazy. these guys that have like a husband that, at home, but they're putting on their books hundreds of dollars a week. And they'll come to the visit and stuff like these guys go crazy over the visit. They're putting on the cologne yeah. and it's the same khaki outfit. Like every week, it's like not much different. These guys would buy like Timberland boots, like off the commissary for like 200 bucks. And they would have it wrapped in a uh, garbage bag under their bed for their one visit. Like uh, one like the first th- day of school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, it's a, it's crazy. Like some of these guys are really like institutionalized like, to insane. that point. Do you um, still talk to your bunk mate? Yeah. I, so I had, um, like a few bunk mates. One was out of prison who I visited in Chicago and one still in prison. He had a, like a really long sentence. He's getting out in a couple of years. I stay in touch with him. Nice. Um, you said, now you said yours was low security. So you didn't, you weren't like with anybody really dangerous. You weren't with like, murder- at, the, at the low, you can meet murderers. Like if they got, um, over 20 years and work their way down, like there's a cutoff when you get to the low, it's X amount of time left. So you could work your way down from like a medium to a low. Um, so I'm trying to think of, is this, is this still a place you still got to watch your back? Definitely gotta... at the low. Like I was an easy target in the prison cause I look like a sex offender. I was a white nerdy <laughs> kid and I've been telling these videos on TikTok and they're blowing up right now. Um, but you got a picture like I'm this, I'm very chubby. We're going to put the picture uh, up because yeah, he's I, not lying. I have, I have glasses. Um, I have a full set of long hair that still had like highlights in it. 
because I, I had like my hair like bleached and blonde for a little yeah. bit so it was growing even in. your skin was like extra pale like, yeah it looks like you got like, some color now i look like your textbook sex offender and you compare oh, me shit. to some of these guys and then i'm young because in the feds there's not many young guys only young guys in the feds are if they got caught like in a rico case um for drugs or a gun charge like i knew a couple really young white boys like out midwest that yeah. were there for a gun charge because that was normal for them but there are no young white fraud guys your typical fraud case is late 20s early 30s 40s um so for me to get on the yard no paperwork no background say hey i'm there for fraud they say that's what they all say and like i went to sit at a table one day and when i was at fort dix and the guys are looking at me and i'm eating and they're like you can't sit here and i'm like what do you mean i can't sit here they're like you you belong over there and i look around it's like this table of these sex offenders (laughs) (laughs) these old guys wearing like the harry potter glasses because in prison you all wear the same glasses they got their you know pants pulled all the way up to like the high part of their chest did you get up and move or no i got up and moved Uh, there's these big guys looking at me saying you gotta get the fuck out of this table so you had to go um, sit next to Touchy Tom. I had to sit next to, and they're looking at me like a big grin on, like they're about to eat dinner. Um, oh, so, shit. Yeah. Oh, because they're looking at you like your food. They're looking, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, hey, how's it going, buddy? Oh, no. <laughs> but that that's like some of the environment until eventually I got my paperwork in. And guards will tell inmates, too, if someone's good or not, because they could look it up. So they, yeah. when once people started finding out that I was straight, they stopped fucking with me. Do they me. really ask for paperwork? Because heard, I've heard that, that they ask you. That's, that's how they could tell what type of charge you're in for. No one. Apparently now I've been learning through my comments that um, they stopped doing that in the feds. Like they don't allow you to have it. But in the fed prison, when I was there, you had to show your paperwork to ride with like certain cars. So it was like the New York car was a group. The Connecticut car was a group. Now in New Jersey, there was barely any Connecticut people. Um, and I knew nothing about this. So I didn't go and establish myself and say, like, for instance, like if I was going to prison again, like God forbid, I would go find my car right away, show them my paperwork, show them I'm straight and I would be taken care of. But me coming into that, I had no idea. So I'm yeah. moving around. I'm pissing people off. Like, I didn't know all the rules. Like, don't sit on another man's bed. Um, don't um, get off the bunk at a certain time. If you have a bunk mate, don't flush the toilet. What time are you not time. allowed to get off the, because it shakes the bed. So like if he's asleep, like you got to just sit up there quiet, like everything. And you don't know that there's all these temperaments. There's like, certain rules. What are some other yeah. rules? They were, we're just listing them. Um, so like the bathroom, when you're in the shoe with someone or in a cell or in like holding like the transit centers and stuff, um, you can't flush. Like as soon as your cellmates asleep, you can't flush. Um, you have to, even like, if you shit, leave it in the yeah, bowl, leave it in the bowl. Yeah. <laughs> It's fucking weird because it wakes the person I up. I guess it makes sense. The, yeah. I'd rather take the noise than the smell. I mean, I get but, it. Because you're it, not yeah. going to smell it when you're asleep. Uh, yeah. It sucks, though. Like. Some things were just like people's tables. Like you you learn, I mean, kind of like the high school cafeteria. Yeah. Um, everyone has like their assigned spot. Like even though it's not assigned by the prison, everyone sits in their exact spot every day. So I had to learn that the hard way. And I feel like awkward. Like I'm scouring like around trying to figure out where to sit. Um, and it's like unwritten rules about like where the sex offenders sit um and this and that but the prison doesn't outline that because they want you to all be around each other um the library was like the main sex offender thing so don't go in the library if you don't want to be associated with them another big rule was you know don't talk to a guard ever alone don't talk to a counselor like always have a buddy with you as like a witness because they don't know if you're snitching or not uh, um i didn't know that right off the bat so when i'm spending like an hour in the counselor's drinking office. drinking tea with them? <laughs> yeah, like trying to figure out shit because I was like, yeah. why am I not at a camp? Like I, I didn't commit a serious, like a violent crime. Like 
Yeah. It's a point system, so you get certain points. I was at 11 points. The cutoff for a camp was 10. Oh, um, shit, so you were just there. I was just there, but they put me at 11. I think that was just them, like, fucking with me. Yeah, definitely. But, I didn't mm. know it was that relaxed. Like, I see some of your TikToks, and, like, people are, like, able to, like, leave prison for, like, that's a few hours. That's only at the camp. So I got a lot of, like, hate on that because people are like, that's not what prison's like. But it is just at the camp. Um, you have a camp driver, like it's inmates driving the camp car around, like to go drop off the mail or anything like that. Um, there's contractors, like a plumbing division. There's a construction, the plows, all the inmates drive the trucks around. There's no, so you fence. can leave there with a license. You can leave there with, yep. oh, um, there's, with trade. No, there's no fence. Um, there's like one camera or two cameras, like on the outsides of the building, there's one guard and this is a standalone building. There's a medium down below the hill. This is a standalone building up top. There's one guard. Um, at night, which is, he sits in the office. And at that time it was a government shutdown. So he didn't give a fuck cause he wasn't getting his paycheck on time. Oh, yeah. Um, during the day you would have like the counselor, the case manager, the secretary, you knew not to pull out your phone or anything around because then they could do like a shakeup or anything. But this was in the Midwest. This is in Wisconsin. They were very lax. They didn't care. People were running through the woods to grab, like it was the most fascinating thing ever. I would be walking the track. And you would see inmates like cut across the tree line and there's no cameras or anything. They're cutting across and bringing these big knapsacks and no one's snitching on them because the snitches are, have their own hustle too. So they're bringing in their own shit. And the cell phones, like it's an abundance. You could get a phone for like 40, 50 bucks. It's supply and demand. Whereas the low, it's 2000 to 3000 for a phone. But in the camp, you get it. Um, the market value on the streets, like 40 bucks for a wow. boost mobile phone. You would get it for like a hundred or 150. Yeah. yeah. Um, so just like all this crazy stuff, um, people Is that where you spent most of your time in Wisconsin or I spent a year there. That was like the last year. My dad came to visit me once. He spent the weekend up there, like got a hotel and stuff. Um, it was just so how, far. How, how yeah. was this? How was this? How did this affect your parents? Um, it was tough on them, like prison in general. Like my mom was very like beat up with the whole thing. What about before prison? Cause like even the whole my son owning a freaking oh, nightclub, that yeah. would probably have tax on me more than and they didn't, I mean, obviously, but they didn't know all this shit was going on when you were... They didn't know until it was too late. I kept them very much out of it. Like, um, I thought the doc did a good job, like, explaining, like, that they really weren't in the loop. Like, people could blame them, but at the end of the day, like, they gave me the independence to go out and do something. And, like, the same thing goes, like, to say, like, a Mark Zuckerberg, his parents gave him freedom. He worked out well, so it's not like you're gonna say, "Oh, his parents gave him too exactly. much freedom." What you were doing could have went crazy. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Never, like, if it know? blew up, if every concert went according to plan, I would have made back all the money I had spent in advance because that's what the whole thing was. Like, you I was taking been loans. A you probably would have running a festival or something. Right yeah, now, yeah, like when I was buying the jet skis, I was just calculating the profits that I was making. It's not like we took in all this money and nothing going on. Yeah, like I can understand that angle. If I took in all this money, hundreds of thousands of dollars, spent it all myself, put kids through school, cars, all that. But I didn't. The only thing I bought was jet skis and some clothes. But then I realized I didn't even like the flashy clothes. I bought like one five thousand dollar like Gucci outfit and I will never do that again <laughs> in my life. Um, was, it it just, a, what, was it a Gucci sweatsuit or something? Or a um, so my friend bought a, a seven thousand dollar Versace suit and I bought a <laughs> uh, like it was a five or six thousand dollar Gucci outfit. It had like a nice blazer, like a jacket uh, with the Gucci imprint all over it. The jeans, and in your mind, hundred dollar pair of jeans. In your mind, I'm getting some hoes tonight. I'm yeah, getting 100%. I mean, percent. We were like fucking strippers and prostitutes in LA. We fought, we were 18 years old. We would go on this crazy trip. 
And oh, so you guys were taking trips out there too, and just yeah, we took two trips. We did Key West, and then we went uh, when we closed the big like quarter million dollar deal. We I took my friends out who were like investors to Cali, and we book a hotel for a week. It was um, and I'm like guessing, the Embassy Suites or something in L.A. I'm guessing going out getting tables every night at the club. Oh, or yeah, and they didn't bat an eye. Like these people, we're pulling up in like a limo and a black Escalade, having a driver. They didn't card us. <laughs> oh, like no. it was. Credit card down the table. We're going to the bank. Wells Fargo to withdraw like 10 grand cash every day for the strip club. Um, That was the first time I've ever been to a strip club. And my friend tells me, don't fall in love with the stripper. And I didn't know what that meant at the time until I actually fell in love with a fucking stripper. (laughs) And (laughs) I'm like chasing her around. I'm this 18-year-old kid. We're like bringing her back to the hotel. And I actually haven't told this story before. Um, So we bring these strippers back to our hotel. And I'm like, is this illegal? Like, are we allowed to do this? Whatever. So we book a second room for them because uh, we wanted to be safe just in case, like if we had to abandon ship or, or if they were trying to rob you us. You definitely want to be safe when you bring the strippers back. Yeah. And these <laughs> girls, like with the lights on, were not attractive at the time. But like I was already like infatuated by them. And so. So the girl didn't look good. No, not okay. afterwards. At the time, she looked at a little bit of liquor and we looked this good. This is pre-nut. Okay. Yeah. Right. So. She's upstairs, and then I kind of realized I was getting played because she was just, like, dancing on me, and she wanted to keep – her and her friend wanted me to keep putting money out. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to get any action. They just wanted the money, this and that. My friend looks out the window, who's also in the room, and outside there's DEA agents, like, with the jackets lined up and down the street. Oh, shit. Cars flashing, this and that. We think it's for us. So <laughs> we're kicking them. Out. We're like, get the fuck out of the room. Like, we're calling downstairs saying we're being robbed. Like, this whole thing, we're trying to kick these girls out. They're oh, like, well, shit. where do we go? We're not going to walk out if they're here for us. And they're like half naked. I'm like, well, go fucking put the sheets on or something. Turns out they were doing like a drug raid across the street. Oh, but wow. we were shitting fucking bricks thinking yeah. that they were there for us. And that was like the last stripper experience ever. It was the first and the last one. So you That's literally kicked insane. them out? You literally kicked them out. And then we told them. Threw, the, be, threw bed sheets on them, get out of here. Got rid of the room. We told here. the hotel it was a mistake. We never even used the room. Uh, that we just went back up. We were hoping we didn't get raided. But we found out the next day, like through the papers, they were there for a drug bust. <laughs> and not, we thought like they were like undercovers, like the strippers or something. Yeah. We didn't know. We thought I was like. Yeah, a, you, never, you guys are 18. Yeah. So 18 because my other friend was actually paying for sex from them. We weren't like paying for sex. We were just. The, yeah. strippers but so did he get her out too he never even had he sex got, with the girl. she was upstairs another friend was upstairs with their friend so uh, there's three of them total um but he didn't give a fuck he was just like whatever they're not here for us um but it was just like <laughs> he, very, just, he just wanted, he was focused he shit, very high anxiety you know heart pumping fast like seeing all that unfold and it just foreshadowed like what was to come later because the fbi did the oh, same thing oh, at my oh. house um, when they but this time you were it. like, nah, I'm just overthinking it. We're good. No, when well, I'm how in did, those how situations. Did that happen? How did they go to your, to, were they just kicked down the door or was it a. Um, so my lawyer was in constant communication. Like it, with the feds, if you have a lawyer that knows like the, the U.S. attorney and stuff, um, they're always in communication. So we would get updates every week on how the case was progressing. It wasn't like it was a surprise. It was very open. Like we knew every step of the way yeah. who they were interviewing, what the stages of the grand jury was like, when charges would come. So in end of 2014, my lawyer tells me uh, they're going to wait till after the holidays to indict. We always knew I was getting indicted because we had turned down an initial deal by them because they were offering me like five years, something crazy, and to admit guilt. And I had no problem admitting guilt and taking responsibility, but no jail time. That's what we wanted. And they wouldn't go for that. They had such a hard on for it. My lawyer said, you'll be able to turn yourself in. It'll just be, you know, the indictment comes down, you turn yourself in, this and that. 
Well, the government wasn't too happy that I was still running the club, um, doing all the shit, still going to the casino. Because they took it like a slap in the face. Yeah, like, you and think we're playing around. doing all these interviews and stuff. So they put on the whole pony show. They get the Danbury police. They get the IRS. They get uh, the postal inspectors. Like my whole street, and it's a big street, is lined up. There's like 30 cars. Crown, Vicks, um, SUVs, Escalades, everything. Whole yard surrounded. And I had just got back from the casino. Like I remember this night vividly. It's like just starting to snow. I got back at like 4 a.m. And... 5 a.m. hits and there's just a bing on the door and I look through my because my window faces the front and my parents house and I look out yard surrounded there's like guys right in front of the window my mom opens the the door and they're like step back ma'am step back and at the time I had I was already getting like arrested um, by the local police for selling liquor without a permit criminal mischief for like breaking the gate to the community we lived in because I couldn't get in one night you're in a gated community (laughs) yeah we're in like this Jewish gated community and I broke the gate one night. I just lifted it up. So the community didn't like me either. So they, they pressed charges instead uh. of just offering to pay to fix it. And then um, another charge, like driving with a suspended license, this bullshit. So I thought that this thing going on at that morning, the raid, was just another Danbury charge. Because my lawyer said the Fed charge will know when it's happening. So I'm like, what is going on? They're like, Mr. Bick, do you know what you're under arrest for? They're putting my hands behind my back. Um, they asked me for my cell phone and the passcode, and I was an idiot and gave up the passcode. And at the time, like all those articles were coming out. Like- yeah, all the t- at the time, the articles were coming out about like Apple not giving up the passwords and stuff. Like it was that whole big debate because all like the terrorist things hadn't happened yet, so that wasn't like open. Yeah. Uh, um, the discussion yet. I give them the pass password. They get access to like all my photos, which weren't like incriminating, but they didn't help because it showed like the flashy lifestyle that they wanted to portray and it helped them piece the timeline together. You had a selfie with a Gucci suit on? Yeah, I had the photos of the Gucci. <laughs> He's with 21 uh, Savage, Chief Keef. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of sex videos in there though, so I oh, feel yeah. bad for like the agent that had oh, to like no. look through all that, <laughs> like with girlfriends and stuff, but um, yeah. So and how I old were you at the time? I was 19 when I got oh, Okay, so you're of age, they weren't watching child porn. No, nah, oh. I was 19 <laughs> and um, so they haul me out of the house and it's snowing and they like sit me on like the road, like by my driveway, because they wanted to wait for the detective that started the investigation to come, like kind of like in Wolf of Wall Street, like that antagonist. It takes him like 10 minutes to come and he, he comes and looks at me. He's like, Mr. Bick, you remember me? Um, we finally got you. And this is a guy who's been after me from like day one. Um, I had been blowing him off. He wasn't happy I didn't cooperate. And then, you know, we end up driving to the courthouse, um, me and two other agents in the car. And they processed me. We did an arraignment hearing. And then I got let out later that day. It was so early in the morning, luckily, that, you know, we got to see a judge. Um, But it was like a whole big show. News was already out about how that was the headlines, like Danbury nightclub owner arrested. And then when I got out, NBC calls me and they're like, we want to come do an interview, NBC Connecticut. I didn't even ask my lawyer if it was a good idea. They just came and they did it because I wanted to, like, shoot back and tell my side. Lawyer was pissed because I'm, <laughs> I'm talking to um, NBC. They're asking me, "Did you really buy jet skis?" And I'm sitting there like, "No comment." Um, so I just looked like didn't look the best, but it was good publicity because they put uh, videos of like the club on it, and then we sold out like two shows uh, the following weekend. From so you made some money. Oh, on nice. It. Yeah, we no such thing as bad out. press, I guess. Yeah. No, there there really is not. Like I tell people all the time, like any type of press is good unless it's like some damning like stuff about you. Mm-hmm. Um, like 
anything, anytime people are talking, like even like comments, you look at TikTok, like some of the like the most hateful comments get like a lot of traction and it just gets people going. Yeah. Like some of these guys that troll people, like they don't realize they're just helping. Oh, oh yeah. We said that all the time. Yeah. 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 Whatever they're in our comments on the podcast page yeah. and they're, they're like talking shit or somebody saying something, he's like, yeah, run it up. And then exactly. I pin those comments a lot of times too. Oh, I'm you like, can pin comments? Yeah, you can do it yeah, on, you you it. on Instagram, on TikTok? YouTube, TikTok. All really? Of them. You can pin Everything. those comments? Yeah. Pin, oh, I thought pin it does Pin those comments because they'll get more engagement. Like anyone that you think like, oh. I know like the ones I respond to, they get high engagement, especially when you come up with like a catchy line or something like that. Anyone that you like. You could hold down on it and it'll pop up. That's awesome. See, I'm If you like or comment on it, it'll put that comment at the top. It'll say creator like to even if it doesn't have the most like is there anything else like you want to talk about or like do you want to plug anything like obviously your tiktok so i'll put your your at name here just ian bick right yeah my tiktok's ian bick instagram's ian underscore bick uh, and you've been pushing youtube as well yeah it's just ian bick on youtube it's, it's starting to get some traction stuff nice. i got like at that 1600 subscribers good um, all from shorts. So I figured I'll keep doing shorts and shorts then is the way to go. once i figure out what to do in long form content I mean, I was talking about like maybe starting a podcast with like the felon aspect, like just bringing people on that have been in prison just to get that comparison. Okay. Like this was, um, like, uh, this bigger, like guy that was in prison. What would you think of like, if I was in prison with you and stuff like that, getting that would that, do like, good. People would love to listen to that. Yeah. I think people would really be interested in there's that. There's definitely yeah. a new, like I told you, I, I watch them. I watch prison documentaries all the so time on YouTube. Interesting. And there's like, like there's shit that you still don't know about it. Especially to get that like perspective, like with me and um, another person too, that's like different because it's not every day like you get like that type. Yeah, no, I've never seen like prison content until I saw that other guy, Colin Ray, that you, we were talking about yeah. before. And I, it's amazing to me because like as someone who's never been to prison. Don't go to prison. <laughs> not recommended. Yeah, Zero I, out of 10. I would not recommend it. But are you happy that you did? I know you don't recommend it in like foreshadowing but mm. like looking back at it are you happy that you went to prison yeah i mean in hindsight i'm glad it made me the person i am today like it definitely like it helped not only like transform me physically but like mentally like now certain shit like doesn't get under my skin as much because like i've been through the worst so like when you when you go through the worst like it's it's really only up from there so i like just try to stay positive about that and i think like it, it i'm only going like forward um, and it like, it was a good experience. Like I got great life skills and, and people skills just from prison. Cause it's, it's either adapt or die pretty much. Like you yeah, have yeah. to adapt. Like there's no sitting there crying and like, um, saying like, what the fuck or anything like that. Like you have to get up and you just got to go. And I'm assuming, I'm assuming it was a shock. Now, what did you grow up? Did you grow up in a home where like, where you grew up pretty sheltered or pretty, you know, with both parents? Yeah, I mean, I we, so, we grew up good. Um, I mean, I got I don't I don't know if it was necessarily sheltered to the fact where like I was like overly protected and didn't get to experience anything. Yeah. Um, but we grew up like a very stable family. We went to private school for a few years. Um, parents had good jobs. Uh, yeah, so jail was just like. Yeah, that, that was like day. yeah. I mean, one of the things the judge said was like you didn't come from a bad neighborhood or a bad area or had a bad life that is like a mitigating factor to why things um, happen the way they did. But the judge just really never got my point of view too. Like he didn't get like, and I get his perspective. Like he's like, to him, it was, he was like disgusted by the fact I was going to the casino, like when I was in debt to investors, but I was going because I needed to pay artists. And that was my only way to get income to flip money, yeah. to flip money and try to sell the club long-term. That was my goal to sell the club, pay off the restitution. And Baccarat's your go-to? Uh, Baccarat was a go-to. Yeah. I always needed to keep the club going because the club 
it was the brand. Like it was building a crazy bland brand. So eventually someone was going to buy it. I just needed yeah. a couple more years. So you were going up where going up to like Foxwoods or Mohegan? No, I never went there at that time. Um, I didn't go there until after prison for the first time. Cause I wasn't 21. Oh, shit, okay, I had okay. just turned 21, like a couple months before I went to jail. Um, and that, uh, at that point I wasn't risking going to casinos yeah. or anything. Cause I was already hot on their radar. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just played like the electronic gaming at, at empire. Thanks yeah, for coming on. Oh, no, yeah. no. You have anything I else? I feel like they, sh for something like what you've, di you've done, I feel like it's not really like that big of a crime where they have to put you into jail for three years when you still have to pay that money back. Why don't you just let the person work and just pay it back? I think that um, if I didn't piss off the judge so much, I probably would have got like probation or a year in the day. Even after losing a trial, um, it was just that blatant like disregard Smart for like court orders of it. They, yeah that you thought they, they in their eyes they thought you thought this was a game and and i get that perspective too um but i think the judge really understood like my side of the story like which is why i went to trial and stuff and yeah. he gave me a lot of chances like the government tried to revoke my bond even after trial several times and they failed every time but once the judge found out like investors were taking losses like even though they were le legitimate losses like i had one investor invest money lost on the show government flipped it into he's taking more loans charging enormous interest rate which wasn't true all this stuff and the judge is just like disgusted by all that uh, you know and he's looking at it like you're making the same mistakes you did before you didn't learn anything so that was definitely he could have like i always sit here today and i'm like it could have been worse like he could have gave me like the six to seven years like look at billy mcfarland from firefest he got five years. Granted, he got out really early. He kind of deserved it. I watched that documentary. Yeah, yeah. So many people compare me to him, and it's it's a little ridiculous because he never promoted a good show. No, he didn't do it that right. That shit yeah. was terrible. That's At least crazy. we threw good, uh, good his events. In, his intentions were never good. Yeah. No. no. He had, like, you watch some of the interviews, and people knew, like, he, he didn't try. That he was didn't like, try to put out a good show. He's like, we had no food, shit. no shelter. And, and just yeah. like, and just like his documentary, I could definitely see your story on, on Netflix. Like I said, Netflix, Hulu, Prime. It's definitely going to get picked yeah, up. Yeah. You have a crazy story. It's got the characters, and too. Like, if they can get those DJs yeah. and big names in it to oh, be yeah. involved. To actually speak on some of this stuff. Exactly. I think that would be a game changer, too. No, yeah, man, definitely. We're, no, we're all looking forward to it. When um, just want to say thank you, too, for coming out because yeah, we appreciate I shot it. you a message, didn't even know you were going to come <laughs> through, and he was just, like, right away yeah, man. and showed love. So nah, we definitely you guys appreciate great. it, man. We got to stay yeah. in touch, man. I actually absolutely, have one man, more absolutely. question. Well, actually, do I can't remember anymore. Oh, wait. Did you have any hustles in jail? Because, like, obviously you're an entrepreneur type. So I had two two big hustles. Were you doing talent shows? Like, booking talent shows there <laughs> shit? <laughs> yeah, no. um, I had two big hustles. My first one was I was selling cheesecakes. So I would make Damn. cheesecakes I would have been your best oven. customer. Yeah, I was making cheesecakes without an oven. I should probably do a TikTok video on it. Like, how to oh, make Oh, hell sure. yeah. I watched but, all those. I'm telling um, you. It's with, um, like, lemon juice. It's with coffee creamer. Um, and y what you do is you put it on ice and you use, like, graham crackers for the crust, everything put like that. Put salt on ice? Uh, no, no salt. It was oh, they just say like put lemon salt in the ice to make it colder. I don't, I don't know. I watch yeah. a lot of jail TikTok shit. That's uh, why. People were making like ice cream in bags, which was great. It tasted amazing. McFlurries. Any, yeah. Anyways, back to the, um, the cheesecake. So you would put it on ice for like six hours and it would firm up like under your bed. Um, they had commissary cream cheese, or you can smuggle the real Philadelphia out of the kitchen. Cause I worked as a baker in the camp. I would wake up at 4am. Nice. Um, and I would I'd do the baking there and stuff, which was good. Cause I had like the kitchen background cause my dad's in catering. So I would sell the cheesecakes $2 a slice. It was like 12 bucks I would make. And it cost me like four. So I was making eight bucks a cheesecake. Second thing I did was I ran the blackjack table at the camp. So I was making crazy good money there. 
I also love to play dice. I, I didn't run like a dice game, but I played Cee-Lo? dice. Yeah, Cela. Oh, we yeah, love Cela. Love Cela. <laughs> yeah, if anyone plays games out here, I'm in, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We probably got the dice here. <laughs> Let's play a couple games. Um, yeah, love Cela. And it was actually like during COVID, I had these two roommates. We had like this townhouse. And um, one of them's Dominican, so all of his Dominican friends would come over and we would play dice. Shout out Dominican John. Yeah, we would play uh, dice till like four in the morning. I'd clean them up every time. It was it's so fun. Like yeah, I, I got mess. like that prison vibe. But we would sit in like the study hall or whatever in prison and play all night because they shut off the TVs after eleven. So you would just play and shoot dice and like you would walk out of there with a laundry bag full of a book of stamps, which was a currency, and mackerels, which is like a fish pouch. Um, and I would do that, but the blackjack table is where like my second hustle was. I made like the cards, a little shuffler, had a nice like table spread out and sit there. You pass the time. Oh, nice. You definitely have to do a jail TikTok because you, (laughs) like we could sit here and talk for hours on just jail shit. Just that. No, Not like awesome. we can experience it, but we want to know about it. There is so much. Like, I would even be willing to do, like, something. Maybe we do, like, some type of partnership, like, with my YouTube. Like, because yeah. I think I have the platform now because it's getting, like, that put out there. I just yeah. need long-form content to go on there, and I think it'll really blow up. Um, and there could be something, like, a, a business venture in there to definitely, oh, like, definitely. talk about. Because I just need my watch hours to be, what, like, over five hours? I got the subscribers. The, the trolls are going to be crazy in the comments. No, next yeah. year, they're going to change it where you can just do shorts and yeah. get the same amount of pay. Yeah. As if it's uh, 10 million views over three months, and then they're going to give oh, you... 10 million views over three months? Yeah, for shorts. For and shorts. then they're going to make it so you're monetized with ad revenue. Mm-hmm. So next year, starting January... So the 10 million views have to start in January or three months. Just together. over three months. So, so it could October, be the past few months. November, really? Yeah. So okay. then you're going to be getting paid 45% ad revenue like they do on the full length content. And you're going to be fully monetized the way so you would be. Just, I mean, you could do both, but I would just stick push. I would focus. Shorts. Yeah. yeah. But, but even if we sat here, maybe that's a great idea. Then we sit down one day and we do like film like a couple hours of prison stuff. And just oh, have yeah. it because oh, yeah. that prison stuff's dominating my shorts right now. Oh yeah, yeah. people uh, love that. Yeah, shit. even on YouTube. I mean, I even on well. TikTok. That's what they want to hear because there's nothing else like yeah, it. Because nobody knows wow. about it. Yeah, no one knows about it. Like well, we could talk hand. about food. We could talk about like we could do a tutorial. Like that. That would really yeah, blow. Up. We gotta have you make a cheesecake next yeah, time. Yeah, like, right here. Cheesecake. We'll put it under the table. Like you yeah, said, I gotta get the recipe. You gotta try the BLT pizza though. That thing is great. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. Uh, thanks for coming for the night podcast. Make sure you follow him, Ian Bick. And Which, there's more to come with Ian Bick as well, <laughs> uh, as prison, you can, as you just prison heard. Talk. Yeah, yeah, prison talk. Coming soon. Yeah. No. No. Man, we definitely appreciate it, man. This was great. Yeah. Of course, man. All right. And right, um, cool. you wanted to take the shot. I'm oh. taking a shot. You guys you can take send it. I think he's way. been drinking water, so I don't know. If yeah, I'm not doing this that, shot. That's cool. Yeah. All right. I'm taking one. It's all good. Run it. We'll take one to him. Thank you, sir. So Thank are you any of you guys making money on YouTube or no? I, yeah. uh, we both are. We both do. Mm-hmm. With long Just shorts. Works. Shorts only. But you can make money on shorts? shorts? There's bonuses. It's called shorts bonuses. How do you They have a fund. They have Once a fund. I hit like 10,000 subs, they, they invited me to it. <laughs>